Okay, so we're on the last part of this foundation of the Christian family, part four. Uh, so last week we finished up talking about the godly marriage, and we also talked about pre-marriage for those single ones um, out there. Okay, so remind me what we talked about last week. Tell me about the Proverbs 31 woman. What is she like? She's not scared to root the rewards of her work because she knows it's been done in God. Yeah, so she's a hard worker. You know, she'll get up early to make breakfast or to take care of her family in that way. She'll stay up late working with her hands. Uh, she will help her husband bring money into the household. And she is, uh, other people will praise her. She doesn't have to praise herself. Her, her children, her husband, will praise her. Those who know her the best will praise her um, because she de- she deserves she, what is due to her. What else? <clears throat> Anything else you remember about the Proverbs day one woman? She won't like, put her husband to shame but he'll be known as Right, right. Her husband has a place of honor. Now whether she was the cause of that, I'm sure she had something to do with it. Uh, she will not bring him down. She will not bring shame upon him. Uh, she helps her husband be in the place of honor and to remain there uh, with all that's in within her power. She does not bring him down. What else? Yes? Uh, she makes sure that her household is taken care of. Right, right. She makes sure her household is taken care of first before she involves herself in these other things. She has her priorities straight. What is her mouth full of? Kindness. Kindness and wisdom. We talked about even in the difficult times, maybe you're in physical pain, maybe your children are disobeying, maybe you didn't have enough sleep, maybe there's financial issues. You know, that that's the times when you're really tested the most whether your mouth can be full of kindness and wisdom or whether your mouth can be full of frustration and anger and godly anger. What is her main and most important important beauty? Is it inward or outward? That's inward. That's right. Her main and most impu- important beauty is not outward. It's inward because she fears God. Not once again. Not that there's anything wrong. Don't let anyone go to the extreme and tell you there's something wrong with outward beauty, with looking nice for your husband, with fitting his preferences regarding the way you look. Don't let anyone fool you with that kind of legalism. The Bible never says that. But uh, her main and her most important beauty is inward. In fact, ladies, I would encourage you to make sure you look beautiful outward. It will help keep your husband's attention where it belongs, upon you. 
Then we went to Song of Solomon. We talked about foxes in the vineyard. What are some foxes that try to get into the vineyard of marriage and destroy it? Go, Joshua. Communication. Yes. Make sure you have good communication. Tell me some qualities of good communication, Joshua. Um, never assume things. Okay. Um, always clarify. Never assume, always clarify. What's some other good principles of good communication? Anybody else? Oh, John. Encouraging more than correcting. Encouraging more than correcting. Um, you know, in our idea of perfection, you know, we believe in moral perfection, sometimes that can seep into other areas and try to be a perfectionist in other areas, too. There's nothing necessarily wrong with trying to do things right. But what I mean by perfection is someone who's you know, it's got to be done you know, a certain way, and if anything you know, differs from that, you know, then there's always got to be correction. You know, and I, I'll tell you, I have a difficult time with that. I have to watch myself with that. And uh, so there can be a tendency to correct so much that people become discouraged. And so we need to make sure we're encouraging, we're giving words of praise, just as much or more than words of correction. There's also being slow to speak and quick to listen, slow to become angry. Because the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. What's some other foxes in the vineyard? Children. Making sure you are around the right page with how you're going to raise them, how you're going to discipline them, all those kind of things. Well, Tracy? I was going to say outside influences like in-laws or family members or friends right. trying to influence and say things into a marriage and letting that come in and cause problems. Yes. That's why the Bible said the two shall be leave the father and mother become one flesh. doesn't mean it has to be physical leave, but sometimes it takes that. Sometimes it's driving 18 hours away to be uh, to have that one flesh that you need. That wasn't one of the things I mentioned, but that is a good point. What's some other things I mentioned that are foxes in the vineyard? Go ahead. I think you said something about pet peeves. Quirks. And pet peeves, you know. Which way is the toilet paper going to go? How are you gonna how are you gonna get the toothpaste out of the you know toothpaste thing? Now if you use different toothpaste that might that might you know fix that problem. But I'm I'm sure you're probably gonna use the same same toilet paper so it doesn't solve that problem. Um, you know, so just different things that you need to deal with that hopefully, if things were done the godly way, you have no idea about because you weren't living with that person before you got married to them. Not the case in every situation, but that's hopefully the way it is, ideally. But these things are going to come about that you had no idea about. Um, you, know, you might find out some of these things through premarital counseling, but you're never going to know everything about a person until you start living with them. You're with them all the time. So, you know, if, if you're courting someone, you may never know, because you're never going to his bedroom, that he has a messy bedroom. That he leaves his dirty clothes on the floor. That he doesn't put them in a laundry bag like he's supposed to. That he leaves his bed always messy. That he doesn't change his sheets but once a year. <laughs> that he never washes the dishes. That it's so bad it roaches all over the place, you know. So you may never know this until you get married to him, you know. So these are things you're going to find out over time, but you have to really just get over it sometimes. Just get over it and deal with it. There's also money and finances, you know, debt and being a good, good steward of your money. Uh, lack of humility and admitting when you're wrong. It takes humility to do that. Forgiveness when you've been wrong. Not allowing bitterness to come into your marriage. Of course, having the same foundational beliefs 
And then also intimacy, making sure that's on par with Scripture. And of course, I encourage the, the couples here to read some of Solomon, to examine yourselves and to follow it as an example of passionate intimacy with your spouse. And quickly, let's go to the singles here. Uh, what's some things you we learned about that? Don't be bashful, youth. We're, we're talking to you now. So what's some things you learned last week from what I said? Go, Joshua. Go to sleep in that area of your life because you end up with a, you know, comparatively speaking, with a monkey that you have all kinds of problems. You're not a match. You're not meant to be together. Okay? What's some other things you learned from last week? All right. Well, how about are you supposed to get married or not? That's not something you assume. Not awakening love and double desires. You know, having proper boundaries once you get into a courtship where it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Finding someone who loves God more than they love you or is infatuated with you. Um, you know, ultimately, knowing that this marriage is not the end. That the whole point of it is to draw closer to the Lord, to marry Christ, and to raise a family who will be a part of his family. And we talked about uh, knowing whether someone's a one or not. Uh, having confirmation with objective sources, uh, not considering a Christian who has invo- involved themselves in mor- morality as damaged goods. Uh, if you have that way of thinking about someone, maybe you should read Hosea. Uh, God told him to go by and marry a prostitute. Uh, so surely God can call you to marry someone who has been involved in fornication. And let's not forget, your sin is no, no less bad in God's eyes than their sin was. You know, just because you're a virgin does not mean God will call you to marry a virgin. Now, that, that'd be nice. It's not always the way it's going to work. I'm glad my wife didn't look at me like that. Uh, where would our six, seven children be now? They wouldn't be here. Um, and then knowing whether you can support the woman as a man. Are you ready to commit your whole self to the other person? Um, are you in, are in agreement in important things in life? And these are things that will come out, hopefully, in the courtship. Once you have, are convinced, your parents are convinced, you're convinced, other godly people in your life are convinced, you're supposed to be married, then that's when you begin to figure out whether there's actually a match or not, um, you know, in more details. And then the quite last question I gave you, one of the most important ones, are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you loving your future spouse before you meet them? If they were looking down upon you and seeing what you're doing, how you're interacting with the opposite gender, would they be pleased? Would they feel loved? Or flip it around. They were doing what you're doing with opposite gender. Would you be pleased and feel loved by them? By the way, they're interacting with the opposite gender. Okay, so let's uh, switch from review here <coughs> over to today's teaching. Today we're going to talk about parenting. Um, now, this whole series is just basic stuff. So this is not going to be real, real in-depth. Um, maybe sometime in the near future, who knows when... Um, we'll do a more in-depth series on this. Because really, you could spend a couple months on parenting. Um, but this is just basically parenting 101 today. So let's talk about first the point of being a parent. Number one, raise godly offspring. 
we talked about it, the, the first teaching of this series, to raise godly offspring. Uh, number two, be a picture of God to them. Represent God's character to them. Because babies don't know anything about God. Children, toddlers, they know what you teach them, but they don't know God. I mean, it's an abstract thing, because God's not physical, he's not material, he's immaterial. And we know that the human mind doesn't even get to that point for a long time, until later on in life. So you be a picture of God to them, you represent what God is like to them. And oftentimes you'll find people who want nothing to do with God because they had a horrible father, or a horrible mother. Because they were representatives of God in their lives. And they think, well, God's probably just like my father. Well, probably not. He's probably nothing like your father, unless he's a godly father. And number three, of course, which ties into number one, is that you have your children become a child of God. But this is different than just raising godly offspring. This is preaching the gospel to them. Because you can teach your children to behave well, and they can be well-behaved all the days of their life, but never become a Christian. And so you need to be preaching the gospel to them. So these are the three points of being a parent, raising godly offspring, being a picture of God to them, and having your children become a child of God. If you don't get these things, then I think, personally, you're missing it as a parent. Our children don't permanently belong to us. Eventually, they will move on. They will move out. Most times, you will die off before they do. You won't be around forever. But God the Father will. The goal is to lead them to the Father. Isn't it ironic? This is Father's Day, Father's Day, and we're talking about parenting. We want them to ultimately be His children, not just our children. We don't want them to honor necessarily the Skelly name, but the name of the Father. That's who we want them to honor. And everything that we do with them should be calculated to move them in that direction. Everything. Parenting is not just maintaining. Parenting is not just getting by. Parenting is being proactive to get them to come to the Father and follow Him all the days of their lives. So everything we do should be calculated in that direction, whether it's how we raise them, how and what we teach them, how we correct them or punish them, <clears throat> how we let them spend time, uh, who we let them spend time with or hang around, where we take them and where we let them go, the activities we let them get involved in, what we let them watch and listen to, how we talk to them, how much time we spend with them. So ask yourself this, parents. Are those things, when it comes to you and your children, are they pushing them in that direction, towards the Father? Are you being calculated in your thinking this through, your loving God with your mind in this and saying, how I'm raising them, how I'm teaching them, what I should teach them, how I correct them and punish them, um, who I let them spend time with or hang around, uh, where we take them, what we let them do, where we let them go, um, what we let them watch and listen to, how we talk to them, how much time we spend with them. Are all these things pushing them to the Father 
or away from the Father? You've got to ask yourself these questions, friends. All of these things and more could potentially affect the eternal destination of our children. Very serious thing. Parenting is not easy, by any means. But it is very important. As I said earlier, probably the most important job in the whole world. And I'm not considering preaching the gospel a job, obviously. Because that would be more important. But souls are on the line. Not only the souls of your children but the souls of the people they will influence, whether for good or bad. You train your child properly, they'll go out and share the gospel and be holy and godly and influence many to, to Christ. You don't train them properly, you don't raise them properly, they become heathen sinners and they lead, influence hundreds to become sinners and follow them and right to hell. Parenting is very important, friends. Souls are on the line. So let's look at some scripture here. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4. In verse 9. God speaking to the, through Moses, to the people of Israel. He says uh, in Deuteronomy 4 9, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. We're to teach these things not only to our children, but to our grandchildren. I understand not many of us, it's not applicable to many of us here, but we're to teach these things to our children and grandchildren. I don't like this idea that goes around in the world that once you become a grandparent, you get to spoil a child now. Nonsense. That's not the way it works. I mean, do you want to make it harder on your children or easier on your children? Do you want to help your grandchild go to the kingdom of God or go to hell? That's the question you must ask yourself. So we're to, uh, we're to actually help our grandchildren as well, if we have grandchildren, or when we have grandchildren, if we have grandchildren. But the first step, as you see here, is to take heed to yourself and to diligently keep yourself. That's the first step, to actually obey God ourselves. If we're not obeying God ourselves, why should we expect our children to obey God? If we don't talk properly to people, why should we expect our children to talk properly to people? If we don't uh, respect people, why should we respect, uh, expect our children to respect people? If we are selfish, why should we expect our children to be generous and unselfish? Most times, children end up becoming who we are. Most times, children end up becoming what they see, above and beyond what you teach them. Now, hopefully and ideally, these two things go together, okay? What you're teaching them and how you're living are the same thing. That, that's the way it's supposed to be. But we need to take heed to ourselves. Whenever I see disobedience in my children or some kind of thing I don't like, the first thing I think is, did they get this from me or my wife? That's the first thing I think. Did they get this attitude, this way they're talking, these actions, these words from us? That's the first thing I think. And if correction needs to be made, I make correction. I'm diligent about it to make sure it doesn't happen again. So I'm not a bad influence upon my children. I may even go to them and say, listen, I'm sorry. I gave you a bad influence there. 
but I'm not going to do it anymore. I don't want you to go on this path anymore. It's, it's humbling to do that, but it's necessary. And I encourage you to do the same thing. When you see your child doing something wrong, the first thing you should ask yourself is, did they get this from me? Because who are they around more than anybody else? I mean, we're not, no one here is publicly educated, right? We're all homeschoolers. So who are they around most often? You. Not their peers, not their teachers, not the world, but you. So if they're doing this, they're getting it from somewhere. doesn't necessarily mean they're getting it from you, but I would encourage you to examine yourself on that. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. So here's the beginning again, just like we saw in the last verse. The first thing he says is, You, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall uh, obey these words and keep them in your heart. And then he goes on to verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down, sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on, on all your gates. So the first thing that we see here is you loving God. Then comes teaching your children. And notice, friends, that this teaching isn't limited to 30 to 60 minutes of devotional time each day. Do you notice that there? There's a thing going around in Christianity, this, this, this discipline of devotional time, which is good. But, friends, it's got to continue all throughout the day. You should be teaching your children all throughout the day, not neglecting that. Wherever you are, whether you're at home sitting down or whether you're walking about. You're to teach them God's word at all times. At bedtime, when you lie down. When you wake up, you rise up. And all throughout the day, whether you're at home sitting down or walking around. It's all throughout the day. Put God's word everywhere. Put it on pictures. Put it on note cards. Put scripture on your walls. Yes. That would be great. If you took the time and effort to do that, put scripture on your walls. Uh, Bibles everywhere. Good books everywhere. Easy access to the truth. Homeschooling that is full of God's word. Entertainment that is godly, that is full of God's word. Coloring books that do with Christian stories, Christian accounts from the Bible. Toys, music at home, music in the car. Constantly put God's word before them that they may know it and obey it. So is that what it's like in the life of your family? Is God's word always being put before them? Is God's word paramount in your family? Or is it just a 30 to 60 minute devotional on Sunday and Wednesday for your family? Which one is it? Look for, when you're out and about, look for good and for bad examples that you can admonish your children. Remember, admonishment from what Brother Chase is saying, and he's right, is different than rebuke. Admonishing is warning ahead of time. Not rebuking them for wrongdoing, but warning them of what could happen if they're not careful ahead of time. You know, I see bad examples all the time. I say, and I don't do it to the person's face to shame them when I see it, but I instruct my children privately. Listen, you see that right there? 
That's exactly what you don't do. That's exactly what you don't do. And I'll explain it to them. Look for other examples to teach them. I think I've shared this before, but it's the first thing that comes to mind. I, I do this all the time, but this one sticks out. I thought it was kind of funny, but you know, we're eating grapes one morning for breakfast, and uh, you know, Titus can't eat grapes. Our dog, he can't eat grapes. It'll severely hurt him. And one fell on the ground. And Titus, like the good dog he is, came right over to eat it. Because he's like our little vacuum cleaner in our kitchen. Okay? And I grabbed him by the collar. Now, from his point of view, he thought he was in trouble, didn't he? Because the tail, tail went back between his legs and his ears went down and he probably almost urinated on the floor. But I grabbed him by the neck and it stopped him. I said to Joe, I said, look, this right here, this grape looks appetizing. It looks sweet and tastes good. But what will it do to Titus? It hurt him very bad. And so as the shepherd over my dog, I grabbed him and stopped him and grabbed the grape and put it in the garbage. Now, if it had been down there less than three seconds, I might have wiped it off and eaten it, but it had been too long at that point. But um, that's an illustration of what sin is like. It looks tasty, pleasing to the eyes. Oh, it's going to taste good. It's like a... What's this uh, serpent did with Eve in the garden? And she saw the same thing. The fruit looked tasty. Looked like it would give her some wisdom. It ultimately led to her death. That's her sin will lead. So you look for things. You've got to train yourself. It doesn't happen overnight, but you've got to train yourself, even now, to look at these things and to teach your children from the good and from the bad examples. And I was telling uh, one of the brothers recently that I saw a family in Walmart. It was a, a lady and like seven or eight daughters. And they all were dressed modestly and had head coverings on. And I was like, wow, this is, never seen them before. And so I went up to the lady and I told her, thank you. Thank you for dressing modestly. Thank you for covering your head. That's what my, my girls do the same thing. And she was very thankful. So I, you know, I want to teach my children that when you see that, that's a good example. And you want to tell them thank you. Because they don't, you know, they don't get that much from the world. When was the last time someone told you, ladies, thank you for dressing modestly and for covering your head? In public, a complete stranger rarely happens. So we want to make sure if we want it done to us, we should do it to them. So look for examples in, uh, in the world as you're walking about the world. Look for opportunities to teach your children God's word to amplify it in their lives. Proverbs 22.6 If you want to write this down, another scripture that goes along with the one I just read, I'm not going to go to it. It says basically the same thing, but it's, uh, Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21 is basically almost exactly the same as Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Proverbs 22, 6. The scripture is often quoted when it comes to parenting. I think it's a good one. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, those seven times passed, it's not like an absolute guarantee as if because you train your child properly, they're definitely going to become a Christian. Definitely going to persevere at the end. Just because you teach your children properly does not take away their free will. They don't lose their free will. Um, if that was what this verse was saying, that they lose their free will and they automatically become a Christian, then we'd have to conclude one of three things. Number one, that once saved, always saved is true. We'd have to conclude that. Because if we teach and train our children properly and they become saved then there's no way for them to lose that salvation. That has to be true. Uh, number two, that God has failed as a parent. Because God was the father to the Israelites. Did all of them persevere to the end? 
Did all of them live godly? Did all of them enter into the promised land? Of course not. And number three, that we are more powerful and better parents than God. If that's true about the Israelites, but yet we can somehow repair our children's free will, and they'll be Christians definitely for sure, and cursed to the end, then we're better parents than God is. That's not true. But I will say this, yet if you don't train your children properly, they won't have much chance in this world. Now, a lot of us older people in here can say that we were not trained properly, yet we're still saved. Praise the Lord. By the miracle of God, though. Not by design. Just because a parachute rigger gets as much as he can, a hundred of them, and five hit the ground, I'm not going to point to the five. Look, this guy did it right. I want to point to the non-device. Look, I'm not going to do it the way this guy did it. Whereas the parachute rigger who rigs parachutes, 95 out of 100 hit the ground. I'm not going to point to the five. I'm going to point to the 95. And say, he must be doing something right. And so while training your, your children properly won't guarantee their salvation, it's the closest thing you will come to a guarantee in this world where free will exists. The closest thing. And not training your children properly is the closest thing to a guarantee that they will never become a Christian in this life where free will exists. And I say that the majority of the time, from what I've experienced, children become what their parents were. They become what their parents were, even if they hated what their parents were. I see this in my sister's life. She's become just like my father, even though she despised the way my father was. Just like him. That's what happens. It's the, it's the example. And when parents give a good example and train their children properly, they are usually... The children now are usually grateful for that later on in life, even if they weren't grateful at the time. I'm, I go back to and think about my, my past life. The things that my mother and father and my stepfather did do right, I am grateful for. And I tell them that all the time. Even though I was an ungrateful brat at the time. I'm grateful for it now. So what does it mean to, to train children? Well, think about an athletic trainer. He doesn't just give the information to an athlete and say, here you go, have at it. Is that the way it works? No, of course not. He's right alongside of them at all times. Uh, he teaches them what to eat and what not to eat, what to put into your system. Uh, it teaches them uh, how to exert themselves properly so they don't injure themselves, how to keep themselves from injuring. They're even there to spot them when they're lifting the weights, if for some reason their muscle should fail them while working out. That's the way we should be with our children. We should teach them what to put in and what to not put in. I'm not talking about physical stuff, not talking about spiritual stuff. What to put in, what not, not to put in. Or to teach them how to, to live their lives, how to exert themselves properly, how to run this race. We're to teach them how to keep themselves from spiritual injury and crippling themselves permanently. We're even to be there when they need us to spot them. Sometimes that's needed. When they fail. We shouldn't just be teaching them God's word. We should teach them everything in life that we're able to. And children, if you noticed, are naturally inquisitive. That's a design by God. Now, when I first became a father, this was a, a hindrance or a bother to me. That my children were inquisitive. But then God rebuked me. And showed me that those times are opportunities. Opportunities to teach them God's word. Opportunities to teach them anything about life. That's important. Whether it's a small thing or a big thing. So we need to 
make sure our children ask us questions that we're paying attention to them and we're listening to them. They will love us for that attention. How are you taking those opportunities? Are you using them for God's glory? Ephesians chapter 6. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with promise, that it may go well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Children, do you obey your parents and honor them in all things? Of course, the only exception would be if they explicitly try to get you to disobey God, to sin against Him. But do you obey your parents? Realize this is a commandment from God. To disobey your parents is to disobey God. Do you want it to go well with you? Do you want to live long on the earth? Well, then you'll obey your parents. I'll tell you, when you... When a child disobeys and you're, it's time for you to correct them and discipline them and you give them this scripture and you ask them, well, don't you want to obey God? Don't you want it to go well with you? Don't you want to live long on your earth? you think any of them are going to say no? No. And it works for their conscience and brings shame and guilt and it helps to change them to what God wants them to be. Parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't be unrighteous towards them in your dealings with them. Be humble with them if you are wrong. Don't accuse them falsely of wrongdoing when you don't have the facts. Be fair and don't play favorites. Train and admonish them in all things. So you train them in the right things and the right way to go but also warn them, admonish them ahead of time of potential danger, potential problems that are to come, so you don't have to rebuke them later on down the road. Colossians chapter 3. But if you treat your children improperly, you will provoke them to wrath, ungodly wrath. It will be partially your fault as well. Colossians 3, verses 20 to 21. Children, obey your parents, in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Well, children, do you want to be well-pleasing to the Lord? Well, obey your parents in all things. It's really that simple. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. It's not only from Ephesians 6, 4 if we learn that provoking your children can lead to anger and wrath inside of them. It can also lead to discouragement in them. We want our children to be encouraged, not discouraged. We want them to be happy, not angry. So let's be very careful how we're dealing with them. A lot of times when I see a disobedient child, you can point right back to the parent almost every time. Almost every time. You see it all throughout uh, Walmart and different places you go. You see these children being disobedient because they're not being led properly for the most part. Okay, so here's ten parental tips and principles I'm going to give you. Okay, Things I've learned throughout the years. Things that I think are based upon God's Word. Number one, 
teach your children to pray as soon as they are able to. Even if it's just a few words. Even if it's just like Lissa saying, I pray for Bella, I pray for Miss Chammer, I pray for Fisher, they be safe. You know, that's that's teaching her to pray. Hey, Lissa. That's teaching her to pray. And she prays for all her little friends. So as soon as they're able to, teach them to pray. And God hears their prayers. Sometimes I think that prayers of children like that are more powerful than the eloquent prayers of a preacher who has a little bit of sin in his life. In fact, I know it is. Number two, teach your children to memorize scriptures as soon as they are able to and have family Bible time. And then as a sub-note of number two, when they become Christians, teach them to have their own Bible time. You know, make sure you give them opportunity to do that. If you make them wake up early and work them till their hands are bleeding, and they're so tired that they can't read the Bible, and so tired in the morning they can't read the Bible, you're not giving them an opportunity to do that. So make sure you're giving them opportunity for that, if they're Christians. But teach them to memorize scripture as soon as they're able to and have family Bible time. Now, I, about three years ago, I underestimated my children. About two and a half, three years ago. He lies five now. He's about two and a half at a time. I thought, well, he's two and a half years old. How's he going to do? Then we started Bible memorization. And he just, and now, sometimes his older siblings will have a hard time saying a whole verse, and he'll finish it for them, or he'll help them along. He'll kind of give them the next two words. You know, to help them finish the scripture. And so don't underestimate a child. They're like sponges. They soak it up. So teach them to memorize scripture and have family Bible time. Number three, teach your children to fear the rod. And we'll talk more about that here in a minute. Teach your children to fear the rod, to fear correction, to fear disappointment from you and from God. Teach them to fear discipline and correction. But to also appreciate it when it does come. To also appreciate it when it does come. To not look upon it as, woe is me, oh, have a pity party. But to be thankful they have parents that will correct them, that will discipline them, as they're supposed to. Number four, teach your children to have self-control. It's a very uh, easy concept, self-control. But I find that most children don't teach their parents. But most parents don't teach their children this. They'll let them go crazy. You know, be like monkeys all over the place, climbing on stuff. Uh, let them go wild and be real loud and crazy. Uh, but then when it's time for them to be quiet, they have a hard time keeping them quiet. Well, I wonder why. You know, whatever you're teaching your, your children throughout the week, don't expect them to be different all of a sudden. Okay? Like for fellowship. Don't expect them to all of a sudden be quiet when you haven't taught them to be quiet all throughout the week. You have to teach them to be quiet. You have to teach them to have self-control, to control themselves. And of course, self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So it will be very beneficial to them uh, you know, later on in life, they become a Christian. Very easy for them to have self-control. It's in all things. As you know, sometimes it's time for bedtime. 
Sometimes it's time for Bible time. Sometimes it's time for prayer time. Sometimes it's time for them just to be quiet. It is. Sometimes it's time for them to take a nap. And if you haven't taught them or trained them, they're not going to be quiet. They're not going to have self-control. And this is one of the most prevalent things I see, whether it's in the Christian circles or non-Christian circles. People don't teach their children to have self-control. They do whatever they want to do. And they feel bad if they try to give them to have self-control. You shouldn't feel bad. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. You should, be, you should feel good about doing that. You should want them to be that way. Number four. I'm sorry. Number five. I put, I put number four next to two of them, so I actually have 11 now. Okay, so number five. Don't reward crying, or crying for no good reason, that is, or fussing. Don't reward it. Now, obviously, there's ties on... Children, babies are crying for good reason. They're hungry. They're not feeling well. They have a you know a bad diaper. Um, you know, so you have to reward in some sense that you're going to take care of them. But if you're discerning they're crying or fussing for no good reason, don't reward that. What you're doing, you're teaching them that's good. They get rewarded for doing these things. Okay. Um, number six. Don't assume wrongdoing and fully investigate matters. Don't assume wrongdoing and fully investigate matters lest you punish the wrong child. Lest you discipline the wrong child. What will that produce in them? Wrath. Bitterness. Discouragement. So, fully investigate. Don't assume wrongdoing lest you punish the wrong child. Number seven. Let no sin go unpunished, and let the punishment fit the crime and age. Different ages, uh, different crimes require different levels of punishment. And if you let sin go unpunished, you're definitely not presenting a picture of God. You're definitely not showing them what God is like when you let sin go unpunished. And go back to number, number six again. Uh, number six again, not assuming wrongdoing and fully investigating matters unless you punish the wrong child. And God doesn't do that. Does God punish the wrong person? Does God punish someone something they didn't do? Does God know everything? So He fully investigates the matter. And I'll tell you this: This is what I've done: is that if I can't figure out who's in wrong, I don't punish anybody. Because I tell them, listen, you know what? I can't figure this out. And it's very rare this happens, let me tell you that. But if I can't figure it out, you know what? I'm going to let God handle this. Because he knows better. I don't, but he does. I'd rather do that than punish the wrong child. Or punish both children when one of them is innocent. So once again, we want to be a, a picture of God to our children. Number eight. Give praise, compliments, and rewards for good behavior. So much parenting is focused on the negative at the expense of the positive. You need to make sure you're rewarding and complimenting good behavior lest they become discouraged. Lest you provoke them to discouragement by all of the correction you're giving. Listen, there's going to be a lot of correction in life for these children. Not just for wrongdoing, but you know, in sinful ways, but actually just not doing something the right way. In a non-sinful way. Making a mistake. Messing up. So you need to make sure that when they do do things right, and you need to be looking for these things, parents, 
diligently looking for these things, you reward them. You praise them. You give them compliments for their good behavior. Not only that, number nine, any attempt to please you, even if done horribly, you know, if they have, they're doing it with the right motives, even if done in a horrible way, not done properly, should be praised. Should be praised. You know, you have little children who are trying to be like the older children. And they may try to do the same thing with pure motives, good intentions, but they fail miserably in their attempt to do it. And you need to praise them for that. If you don't, or you discourage them or put them down or treat them like they've sinned when they haven't, you're going to discourage them from ever trying to do the thing again. You need to encourage them. And tell them thank you, just for the littlest things. And you'll find us to encourage them to keep doing the same thing. And you can, in the midst of that, say, listen... Uh, maybe it's not time for you to do that right now, or you're not old enough to do that yet, or show them how to do it properly, but at the same time say, thank you so much for, for trying to do that. Thank you for so much for helping to encourage that. Number ten, don't be a hypocrite. Children become who you are, what they see, not what you say. As I've already said. Don't be a hypocrite. And number eleven, don't play favorites with your children. There's nothing that will provoke sin in a child, whether it's the one you favor and it's pride, or the ones you're not favoring and it's discouragement and bitterness, than playing favorites with your children. Does God play favorites? No. Then neither should we. Neither should we. Is God a hypocrite? Then we shouldn't be one either.